Well, why don't you send that praise right on up to Jesus Christ? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of uh, God's saints. And, and uh, thank you, Pastor John, for, for a tremendous introduction. And thank you for letting us uh, be here with you once again. And as well, uh, ministering to your men. Uh, on yesterday, we did two sessions with the men. And that's one of my passions to see strong men of God uh, raised up. And uh, thank you for, for that. Pastor John did mention uh, that... Uh, one of our network churches, New Wine Christian Fellowship in Laplace, Louisiana, which was hit very hard, that community, by this last uh, hurricane that came through. In fact, the hurricane settled, and uh, because it's on the west of that hurricane, Laplace had a lot of rain dumped on it, and everything flooded in that area. Homes, he, uh, Pastor Bernard said that it looked like a war zone. And um, from that, their church, who has gone through multiple uh, hurricanes uh, and, and tornadoes has become the premier church for relief in that particular area. And so last week he wrote me an update that says that the hurricane uh, recovery from Hurricane Ida has been uh, distributing hot meals and disaster relief to hundreds of families during the course of every day. Uh, they have, uh, for the last three and a half weeks, uh, they have volunteers that have come into the area and they are housing the volunteers at their church. They have a sanctuary and a gymnasium and they're housing those volunteers there for the relief efforts who come in and they're gutting homes. They're also cutting down trees and they're putting uh, tarps over roofs for uh, people. So any donations you give will help in that area. Uh, many of you might know on the sidebar that uh, Laplace, Louisiana is the home of uh, real Andouille sausage, okay, for those of you who, who would love any such things. And so, uh, and so that's where it comes from in that area. But Neil has been a tremendous man of God in South Louisiana. Their church is right on airport highway from the airport from Louisiana. And it's become the staging area for uh, ministries like Operation Blessing and many others who use their parking lot because they have purchased and paid for an entire shopping center that they own. And it's from there that they do Christian ministry. Uh, sidebar also, uh, they said because of their efforts there, Good Morning America will be there this coming Thursday morning. They're going to interview them. So for those of you who are early risers, I want you to know not only are your donations beneficial, but when Pastor John said it's got national attention now, if we as believers go out and meet people's needs, find a hurt and heal it, find a need and meet it, you don't have to create programs to get national attention. The national attention will come to you. Amen. And you're helping in that effort, and I applaud you for that. Amen. In Jesus' name. So this is one of our strategic uh, partners that we have, and we thank the Lord uh, for that in Jesus' name. Let's pray, and we're going to get into the word and into the ministry. Father, we just thank you for just the opportunity to do a renewal of relationship, Father, and also for us being able to gather together in Jesus' name. Uh, we also thank you for the tremendous grace you've given us in our lives, and thank you, Father, for everything that you are doing in the life of uh, this church. Father, we heard announcements of families who have experienced loss, and I pray that you would be comfort to them, uh, Father, even during this time. Your word is said, blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. So be the comforter in this sanctuary as well. And Father, for this, we give you thanksgiving, and for this, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. There are many types and shadows uh, for the church and symbols for the church and for God's people throughout uh, the Bible. And uh, many of these types uh, also help us understand the human journey uh, in, in, our, in our humanity into our transformed life into God. Uh, some of the characteristics are apparent and some of them are obvious and then some are less apparent and less obvious in the analogies that are spoken of and the analogies that are given for a believer's journey into the Lord. Other characteristics you have to mind because they're embedded in the text. 
And sometimes you have to mine them out like you would mine silver or gold. Uh, One of the symbols for Israel, for the people of God, and for the Lord's church is like we're like trees. And over our two sessions today, I believe that this church has been planted like a tree in this area. And there's a psalm that I would like to focus in on and a few verses from that psalm for our time together this morning. And that's Psalm 92, if you will join me there. Psalm 92. There in Psalm 92, it says, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing his praises unto his name, O Most High, to show forth his loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness in the night. Upon the instruments of ten strings and upon the psaltery in the heart, uh, with a solemn sound, it says, for thou, Lord, hath made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Thy thoughts are very deep. Now the brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, And when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, is it that they shall be destroyed forever? But thou, Lord, are most high forever. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish and all the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shall be exalted as a unicorn And I shall be anointed with fresh oil. My eyes also shall see my desire of my enemies. And my ears shall hear the desire of the wicked that rise up against me. Our anchor text for our time together. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in their old age. Hmm. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is a rock And there is no unrighteousness with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Ooh, what a delicious piece of scripture. I think that it's interesting that this psalm is called the Sabbath psalm. Remember that God gives a time management principle in the Genesis principle. The time management principle is that I've given you six days to work. And in those six days... You shall do all of your work. He said, but the seventh day, he hollowed it. And he rested. And he said, in that day, you shall do no work. Every other day had a number. The first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and the sixth day. But the Sabbath day was the one day God gave a name to. He said, in that day, you shall do no work. Sabbath then was a day that no work was to be done and people were to spend time in reflection and renewal and refreshing with God. One of the rabbis I work with in our city who is a uh, conservative rabbi, I asked him, how do you understand Sabbath? He said, Sabbath is a day to rehumanize. He said, it's a day that you understand we're not human doings we are human beings he said so on sabbath he said we renew we refresh we restore we revive and he said and it readies us for the first day of the week where we go back and begin to live out the principles that we live in the sabbath now why this sabbath thong for faith christian center this year because the lord gave us a pause over the last 18 months. And somebody ought to ask the question, what was the cause for the prophetic pause? 
And could it be that God gave us this cause for the prophetic pause? Because we have abandoned the Sabbath principle. We didn't know how to take a rest and how to stay home. So God permitted everything globally to get locked down. Now, I'm not saying he's causative. I'm saying that this did not take him by surprise. I am saying he permitted it because we don't know how to stop. And the Sabbath is a day that you stop. It's actually a working man's command. Because if you're not working, you don't need rest. But if you work six days, you deserve a break today. Would you look at your neighbor and say, you deserve a break today. Now listen, in this psalm, he then says that the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. And this Sabbath psalm was one that was read, that was sung in the Jewish psalms, or the psalms are the Jewish prayer book, praise book, and proclamation book. Those three Ps. They praise God from the psalms, they prayed from the psalms, and they proclaim from the psalms. So it's a proclamation book, prayer book, and praise book. And they would sing this song, or quote this song, or meditate upon this psalm on their way to temple or to Sabbath worship. He likens the righteous, that would be the people of God, to a palm trees. And palm trees flourish in desert places, places that are very dry, places that you wouldn't think could ever flourish. They are arid areas and palm trees flourish there. How do they flourish? Palm trees, the last verse in Psalm 92 says that you have found the Lord to be your rock. Their root burrows all the way down to water. And so they keep on going and going and going. They always root, 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 root. They keep going downward and down and they find water. Even in the desert place, there's water underneath, but they don't stop where the water is. They keep on rooting and rooting and rooting until they find a rock. And then they wrap their roots around the rock so that when storms come, they will bend, but not break. And the righteous are like that. That's why in the middle of a desert, when you find what's called an oasis sometime, you'll see a bunch of palm trees and they have fruit upon them because they have rooted downward to the water, fastened their root around the rock so that when the winds come, whether in the desert or in the cold places, they can stand. They shall also, the righteous are not only like a palm tree, but they, which is one of the symbols of Israel today, but they're also like the cedar of Lebanon. And cedars flourish in high places. Lebanon, the cedars were in high, cold places. And friends, if you're going through a high, cold season in your life, I want you to not fret and think that you cannot flourish in a cold, wintry season because those trees flourish and they do the same thing. Their roots are strong enough to crack through the rock and find water in the rock and then fasten itself to the rock. So even in a high, cold place, they flourish. The commonality of both of these trees, whether a cedar or a palm tree, is that both of them root downward and they sink deep roots that give them stability, durability, and stamina. And during this season, I want you to know that some people have floated off from stability, durability, and stamina. Some people have moved off the mark that God told us to walk in. You see, the prophet prophesied about rooting, about rooting in Isaiah chapter 37 and verse number 31, 37, 31 of Isaiah. He prophesied this and it's kind of interesting. They're getting ready to go into Babylonian captivity. Why are they going into Babylonian captivity? Because when Isaiah prophesies, Israel has violated three things that are dear to the heart of God. First of all, they have violated the Sabbath principle constant throughout the prophets, both major and minor. When you violated the prophets, you, uh, the, the Sabbath, you got the attention of God. Second sin common to Israel and the Judah was that they committed idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not uh, make unto me any graven images. They committed idolatry. So violation of the Sabbath, committing idolatry. Thirdly, their mistreatment of the poor. I think it's a man named Walter Storff 
who wrote Christian Foundations. And he talks about the quartet of the vulnerable, the quartet of the vulnerable. And constantly through the prophets, minor and major, you find this vulnerable quartet, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, or the international, and the poor. And when people violated that quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the international, and the poor, they got God's attention. And so Israel is getting ready to go into captivity. Israel in the north will be taken away in 722 BC by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom will last a little bit longer because they did have a few revivals with some of their kings. Some of their kings did some things that were right in the sight of God. So God says, you're going to go into captivity. And Isaiah prophesies this, and the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again root downward and bear fruit upward. After the captivity, Judah will return to be planted in the land. Friends, after you and I have gone through a difficult time, Isaiah says there's a group called the remnant that shall be returned. Now, what's a remnant? Because I believe that y'all that are here this morning are remnant people. You say, well, what's a remnant? A remnant are the folks that come back after a difficult time. Look at your neighbor and say, hello, remnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are remnant people. Now, a remnant is, is a chip off the old block, if I was using a wood analogy. Sometimes you're chopping wood and you got the big piece of wood that you want to either burn or to scald. But then the remnants would be those little chips that are, that are laid around as a chip off the old block. A remnant could be a piece of a rock where you chiseled away and you got the big piece that you want so you could sculpt it or use it or turn it in to the item that you want. And, and a remnant would be the piece of the rock. Peter would be a piece of the rock. He would be a remnant guy. He will be a remnant guy. I call your name Peter because upon this rock, the big rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not be against it. But my wife, uh, years ago, she used to sew and told, uh, taught my daughter how to sew. When I first met her, she was sewing all of her clothes. She was so good. She sewed her own wedding dress. It was wonderful. She had it going on like that. And when she began, when I began to uh, date her and then we got engaged, I used to go into fabric stores. I don't even know if fabric stores are around anymore. But in fabric store, there was always a remnant section. And remnants were not second class cloth. It was something that was left over from the original. Look at your neighbor say, I'm a, I'm, I'm a remnant person. Tell them I'm just a leftover from the original. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're not a fake. You're not an invita- imitation. You are just a leftover from the original. That's who you are, a remnant person. And the remnant was just something that was left over from the original batch, but it still had the same quality, still had the same characteristic. It was just a smaller amount. It was a leftover from the original batch. Now, let me talk about leftovers because some of y'all throw away your food and you miss leftovers. And let me tell you something. Leftovers have their own quality to them. If I can use a culinary example, listen, when I made chili, uh, my mother taught me how to make chili because we used to eat it. And and I would want to eat a bowl right after I made my mom would always say, oh, no, 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 no. Ah, thank you, sir. (laughs) She said, put that chili in the refrigerator and let it stay for a day. And I said, well, why? She said, because it gives the spices a chance to root all down into all of that stuff. And when you bring it out the next day, she says, I guarantee it will taste better. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a leftover. But, but see, because you are left over, something is rooted downward inside of you. If you use this time and didn't just do the time over the last 18 months. If you use the time and just didn't do the time over the last 18 months. We mentioned Pastor Bernard. I used to go to their house after Sunday church and his family, his wife, his daughter, his son, they would make us dinner. And one of the things that they introduced me to was gumbo, gumbo, gumbo. And this is real New Orleans gumbo. 
And that stuff was tasting so good, I told Angela, his wife, I said, I want you to show me how to make gumbo. She said, Pastor, you're not here enough days for us to make gumbo. She said, because this is a three-day process. She said, first of all, you got you to gotta take a big pot out. You got to brown your andouille sausage. And then she said, then you got to put the Holy Trinity in it. You got to put some celery, some onion, and some green pepper. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. Listen, listen. She said, then you got to pour in your chicken broth. And then you got to add in some garlic. And you got to add some bay leaf. You got to add in a little uh, parsley. And then she said, then you got to get the red hot sauce, the red hot sauce. And you got to pour that in there. And then she said, then you got to make the rue. She said, the reason gumbo's no good up here in the Midwest and in the North, y'all don't put no rue inside. And so you got to either take some butter and some flour in the skillet or some oil and you got to make the rue and you put that in there and then you just let it boil up, boil up, boil up. And it just keeps boiling and you let it boil for several hours. And, and then, and then she said, then you take that mixture and let it cool down. And she said, and you can add on top of that Andouille. She said, you can add some chicken if you want to. She said, but the best thing to do is just to put that in the refrigerator and let it set one day. And then she said, but two days is better. She said, because that gives a chance for everything to go down into it. She said, then when you bring it out the next day and you heat it up, you can put your chicken in it. And she said, and it tastes best if you're going to use seafood and put shrimp in it to put the shrimp in very last. So it's fresh, but not rubbery. Then she always, she was always courteous to Teresa and I. She said, now we're going to put your rice and your okra on the side because I understand for some of my African friends, when they say gumbo, it means okra. And they say, some people, they say, we put it in, but we're going to put yours on the side so you can mix it all up. And when I followed her instruction, the last thing she said that you need to put in it is a little thing called filet, sassafras root. And she said, that'll make it distinctive New Orleans. And I did exactly what she said. And oh my God, people start talking in tongues when they said, pastor, where did you buy this? But the key, she said, is the filet and letting this stuff root all down in there. Listen, for those of you who return to the house of the Lord, God has rooted some things down inside of you. And he said, it shall root downward and then it will spring upwards. You see, rooting downward is what God has been doing here. What he's taught us yet is he's rooted downward when he's told us that the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. One of the things God should have taught us over this last year is your environment and your condition do not prohibit God from flourishing you. Do y'all remember Jesus when one day in Mark chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, I'll speak the narrative rather than reading it because of time. There were 4,000 people in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. 4,000 people in a wilderness. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, hey, why don't you guys set these guys down and feed them 4,000 people in Mark chapter 8, 1 through 9. They start saying, Lord, there's not enough food in this area to feed them. They have a scarcity mentality. Jesus then takes in that chapter, Mark uh, 8, verses 1 through 9, and he takes seven loaves and he takes a few fish and he breaks them. And he, no, he takes them, he blesses them, he breaks them, and he gives it to them. And he feeds those 4,000 and seven basket fragments are taken up. Another situation earlier in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 35, they're not in the wilderness, but they're in a desert place. And Mark records in that desert place, there was about 5,000 people. And you see, again, the disciples' methodology was to count their money, count their money and say, listen, 200 pennies worth would not buy enough bread to feed all of these people. Their methodology prevented them from seeing that they had the one that is the provider in front of them. Jesus said, we'll see what you have. They find five loaves, two fishes. Jesus takes it. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to them. They feed 5,000 folks, 12 people, 12 baskets are taken up. Jesus is amazed at them that they don't believe that this little lunch and the little bit of resource that they have can carry them through. Now, why was he amazed? 
because the God that they serve, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God that they serve, their covenant God, had fed millions of people 40 years in the desert. Those people in that desert, in the wilderness wandering, and they were in the wilderness and in the desert, they saw a miracle every day. Because every day they go out in the morning, manna on the dew in the morning. Go out every night, manna on the dew in the evening. Jesus said, why did you doubt that I could feed you one day when my father fed folks for 40 years? And then they saw a double portion miracle every week. Because on Sabbath, he would say, go out and collect double. And he said, and listen, when you collect double, he said, it's going to be a double portion. You'll have enough for two days. And he said, now don't you go out the next morning because there won't be anything there. And some people gathered in a lot and some people gathered in a little and some people gathered out nothing. And some people didn't even believe the word Lord. They came out on the Sabbath looking for stuff. But you know what happened? Those people had an abundance mentality in the desert and they shared what they had. That's why your foyer is full of stuff because this church knows how to share. And the text says in Exodus in 16, it says there, and those that had lack had no need and those that gathered were full. See, whenever you give it away, it's always going to come back to you in an abundant form. You will never go away. I heard Kenneth Copeland years ago when their ministry was in some financial stress in the early days. He said, we started, he said, all we had to give away was tapes and books. He said, we sent out tapes and books free of charge, all of our partners, because when you give, it shall be given unto you. And friends, they saw a miracle every day. God is not limited by your environment, your condition, or your atmosphere, or your space to cause you to flourish. You can flourish in the desert. You can flourish in the mountain. You can have vitality if you believe God because those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. See, before you plant and before you can flourish though, there needs to be site preparation point number two. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. Before you plant, you must prepare the soil. And Jesus gave soil preparation parables that were called the, uh, the parables of the sower. Jeremiah puts it like this because he's called the prophesied to a rebellious people. And Jeremiah says, then the Lord put his word in my, uh, 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 then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Jeremiah 1 9. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. He says, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdom. Now, Jeremiah, what's your assignment? You're going to have to root out. You're going to have to pull down. You're going to have to destroy and you're going to have to throw down. Then you can, then you can build and then you can plant. Now, friends, before you're planted, God has to do some work. First thing he has to do is he has to root some stuff up. And I believe that one of the reasons that we had this prophetic pause last year is that there's some stuff that needed to be rooted out in the nation and rooted out in the church. There wasn't no baseball to look at, wasn't no football to look at, wasn't, uh, wasn't any plays to go to, wasn't anything. And we had to deal with some issues. Had to deal with issues like racism, implicit bias. We had to deal with foolishness in the church. We had to deal with sectarianism and division because of politics. We had to deal with that. We had to deal with nationalism. We had to deal with, and God said, I'm shutting everything down so that you could really see what's in your heart. And listen to me, what we found out when we started rooting out, we found out that there were hidden agendas that needed to be rooted out. We found out that there were selfish motivations that needed to be rooted out. We found out that there was unhealthy entanglements that needed to be rooted out. And we found out that there was embedded fears that needed to be rooted out. Some people are just scared because somebody's white. Some people are scared because some people are black. Some people are scared because some people are brown and came over the border. Some people are scared because they're yellow and came from Asia. And that's where all this mess started, that coronavirus. Some people are scared because people are red in indigenous Americas. And now they are saying, why did you commit genocide against our people when you came here and you were Christians? 
and yet you killed us. And some stuff needs to be rooted out. And some of that is embedded fears. Afraid. Some stuff over this last year has had to be pulled down. They had to pull down some pride. Because some people just thought that we were exempt. <laughs> we were immune. And pride causes you to lift yourself up higher than you ought to. Arrogance causes you to look down on people. We had to pull down arrogance. We had to pull down our own self-images. And friends, last year, I told our church, you got to pull down everything that tells you you can't prosper and you can't flourish in a time of of uh, stay-at-home orders in a time of uh, shutdowns. You have to get rid of everything. I told them, dig down inside of you and pull down everything that tells you you can't. False self-images. We had to pull down a victim mentality. Because I know some people in my church who are black folks who were raised in the suburbs who haven't had too much of a problem at all, they've told me. And, and yet, some of them were acting like they were victims. I said, man, you need to help some of these people who've really been victimized. I said, because I know where you live and I know your walk and your talk and your ability. I'm not saying that you don't get victimized in suburbs, but I'm saying that was not their testimony. But it's interesting that we can tri- triangulate ourselves into other people's problems. And I think that we can identify with people without becoming part of the problem. Friends, victim mentality, extreme idols. And friends, we have lifted up sometime man above God. There's some stuff we need to pull down. There's some stuff that needs to be destroyed. It just needs to go. It needs to be dismantled in such a way that can never be reassembled again. And these are voices that say that you can't, you shouldn't, you won't be able to. Uh, These are what I call dream thieves. Uh, This would be satanic tactics that come to steal uh, identity like they did with Esau uh, from Jacob. uh, That come to kill your dream like was done with uh, with Joseph. That comes to destroy your life like they did with Moses. There are some things that need to be destroyed. There are some things that need to be thrown down during this time, friends. Rooted up, pulled down, destroyed, and then thrown down. Listen. There's a little song that was written several years ago called He Made a Way. When there seemed to be no way. When it seemed that it was over. He made a way. And I'm standing here only because he made a way. The refrain in that song said, he moved mountains. He caused walls to fall. And friends, there are some things that need to fall during this time. Strongholds need to fall. These are stubborn arguments that even when they're proven wrong, people won't even say I'm wrong. I'm somewhat amazed at some of the prophecies that have happened over the last 18 months, especially concerning the presidency and the reemergence of the former president, President Trump. I'm amazed when people set dates and then when the dates don't come to pass, then they say they miscalculated. I said, is God a miscalculator? Friends, stubborn ideologies that need to be pulled down, uh, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Credible voices at one time had historical credibility, but don't have current credibility. And I'm looking for people with current credibility. And I appreciate folks that were wrong and said I was wrong, but I say now you don't have current credibility when you're wrong and then you're trying to make up something to do that. It's like a little kid that parents go out the room because they just make the cookies and tell the kid, don't eat the cookies. They come back in the room. The kid has his mouth shut. There's substance all over his lips. And uh, the parent says, didn't I tell you not to eat the cookie? And the kid says, no cookie. And friends, there are some stubborn ideologies that need to be pulled down. See, here's what we need to hear. Israel never heard this. Israel never heard this. Our kingdom is not of this world. Israel was supposed to be a model for the nation. When I talked to my friend, uh, Cantor uh, Crumpsky from, from, uh, from, uh, from, 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 from his synagogue, I, I asked him, I said, man, there's a lot of Christians who are really getting into Hebraic worship. And he just kind of shook his head. And he looked at me and he said, He said, apostle, he said, the history 
of my people is not good when it comes to God. Here's a rabbi, and I quote. He said, so why are y'all holding that up as a standard? And I was surprised. And this rabbi says, if you read the Bible, you will find out that the history of humanity is not good when it comes to God. And friends, you and I didn't understand that God says, therefore, I'm taking you out of your history and putting you into his story, history. And he is teaching us how to walk in a brand new kingdom in a brand new way. And in this brand new kingdom, it's made up of every nation, every kindred, every tongue and every people, all kind of folks. We're not all going to be the same. In fact, the Bible says we're different, but because of our kingdom relationship, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of our identity in him, even though we're different, it just don't make a difference. That's what love does. Love say, I can see that we're different. It just doesn't make a difference. Now, if I say Rama, when I say hashtag up, that says to my young people, post that. And I always have one of my young people say, I got it. And when I go back out on social media, it's already up. We are different, but it shouldn't make a difference. And if I have to pretend that you're not something, to accept you, then there's an ideology inside of me that needs to get fixed. A man preached to some of our young people, say, I don't see people that are black and brown and white and red and yellow. He said, I see all people as red, covered by the blood. And I I had to stand up and correct that. I said, why do you have to pretend that all these people are not who they are for you to accept them? And he was actually saying, I don't, he said, I never noticed that Lafayette was a black man. I said, come over here. I need to lay hands on you. Where's my oil? (laughs) That's why the world has trouble with us. Look at your neighbor and say, don't say dumb stuff. Go ahead. Tell him, tell him. (laughs) We are different. It just doesn't make a difference. I took him through the book of the Revelation. I said, look, even John in heaven saw them in glorified bodies. And he saw every nation, every kindred, every tongue and every people. He kept seeing all of these uh, differences. And he said, but God has redeemed us through the blood of the land. I said, it's one thing to tell our people, yeah, we're covered in the blood. It's another thing to say that you don't see them for who they are. Because I don't know about you, but look at your neighbor and tell them I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, you are marvelous work of the Lord. God made you the way you are because of why you are. And friends, I see you as you are. And before you build or plant, you must do soil preparation. See, after you root it up, pull down, destroy, thrown down, then we're ready to build. And that's what leaders do. Leaders build people who will build the church and then we're ready to plant, which means that we will be able to set something in the ground in a permanent way so that it can grow. Plant. What do plants need to grow? They need air. They need water. They need light. And they also need nutrients. Nutrients. They need air, water, light, and nutrients. Plants need those four things. And point number three is that plants are kind of interesting, especially the palm tree, because it says that they shall bear fruit in their old age and shall be Fresh and flourishing. As I close this morning, listen to me now. When you are getting older, it doesn't mean that you have become useless. Old age doesn't disqualify you from flourishing. Look at your neighbor and say, old age doesn't prevent you or disqualify you from flourishing. Early in the Torah, God gives us a story about a man named Abraham, Genesis 12, and an old woman named Sarah. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he has spoke a word of flourishing over them, but nothing has happened. And God waited until everything got impossible. And when Sarah was still barren and Abraham had gone through his midlife crisis and was impotent, 
She had gone through menopause. And listen, God then shows up. Look at your neighbor and say, why does God take so long? <laughs> then God shows up and he said, now you're going to have that baby. Sarah was so much in faith, she started laughing. She started laughing and God shows us in old age, you can flourish. Listen to me as I close. When you and I get gray hair, and I said this to the men yesterday, when our hair starts turning gray, for those of you who permit your hair <laughs> to turn gray, when our hair starts turning gray, you are not disqualified from flourishing. Psalm 71, verse 17 that I quoted with our men yesterday, but did not go in depth. It says, oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto, as I declared thy wondrous works, he says, now when I'm old and gray headed, oh God, don't forsake me. Uh, he said, until I shown your strength to this generation and your power to everyone that is to come. Listen, you must let go of what was to embrace what is, what could be and what's next. See, experiencing God takes change. One of the constants in your walk with God is the constant of change. Think about your natural walk. You change from an infant to being a toddler. I have two grandchildren, my sons, my oldest son's children and his wife. They are in high school. My daughter and her husband pursue career. And so they start a little bit late. So I also have a, uh, a two-year-old and, and, and a 90-day-old, okay, a boy and a girl. So I have a boy and a girl in high school and a boy and a girl with toddler. You know what? When, when Kai came along, who is now two, I forgot what it's like at age 70 to childproof your home. <laughs> you need energy <laughs> to stay up. With a toddler, two of the greatest joys that a parent has with grandkids is when they see the headlights come into their driveway and they see the grandkids coming. And when they see the taillights leaving and the grandkids are on board, somebody say amen. Two of the greatest joys. When they leave, my wife said, I got to go take a nap. <laughs> but you don't stay a toddler always. You grow from a toddler to a child, from a child to an adolescent, to an adolescent, to an emerging adult. That's what our uh, adults said that they wanted to be called, emerging adults. These are college-age adults, you know. They said, I'm not quite there, but I'm not there, okay? So don't call me a young adult. Uh, we had a big argument over this in church. They said, church is the only place that... We get called young adults. They said, we're not called young adults on campus. We're not called young adults at work. We're not called young adults in our career. But when we come to church, we're a young adult. I said, what would y'all want to be called? They said, emerging adults. I said, whatever. <laughs> okay, so emerging adults. <laughs> okay, emerging adults, adults, elderly. And then you could become a sage. And a sage is a person that has wisdom and good judgment, prudence, and reflection. Now, if, if you don't change as an emerging adult, you can become an adult adolescent. You're young once, but you can be childish forever. And friends, if you don't change when you're elderly, you can become an old hag or an old geezer. <laughs> so before you become a haggess, before you're nominated for geezerhood, look at your neighbor and say, keep changing. Just keep changing. You see, here's a picture that I want you to see. And Ray, you can come now. You see, I stand on the shoulders of the former generation. I always tell our young people, you can choose to walk in my shadow or to stand on my shoulder. Does that make sense? You can choose to walk in my shadow or stand on my shoulders. I stand on the shoulder of the previous generation. 
part of the shoulders that I stand on so that you'll understand me is my pastor, Phil D. Hill, was a pastor in the middle of the black community, Union Grove Baptist Church. He went to school with Martin Luther King. And when Dr. King preached in our city during the time that I was in elementary school, he preached at our church and stayed in my pastor's house. I stand on those shoulders. So justice, doing loving mercy and doing justice and walking humbly with our God is part of my core values because I stand on those shoulders. I stand on the shoulders of Dr. the late Dr. Frederick A.C. Price who after I learned how to do justice in the community, he taught me how the just shall live by faith. And every end of his program, ever increasing faith, he was saying, remember this, we walk by faith, not by sight. I stand on those shoulders. I stand on the shoulders of Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, who I traveled with for over 20 years. And I learned the principle that manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. I stand on the shoulders of Apostle John Watson when God prophesied over me that I would minister on every continent in the earth. And he laid his hands on me and released me to be an apostle to the nations. There's seven continents in the earth and I've ministered multiple times in Asia and across the uh, Australian continent. I've ministered multiple times in uh, Europe as well as across the African continent. I've ministered multiple times in Canada and across these United States and in South America. I've ministered on every continent in the earth except for Antarctic. And some of my young people told me that there are no people there. My oldest son discovered that there are scientists there and he's trying to figure out a way to get me there even in my 70s. He said, because he's kind of a literalist and he said, I want to I see you fulfill everything that God said. And John, he's found a cruise that goes off the tip of South Africa down to Antarctic and he plans to get me on it. He said, if you do nothing but go out there and do track attack, that is pass out tracks, we're going to get you there. I stand on the shoulders of Apostle John Watson who showed me how to be an apostle. Stand on the shoulders of Miles Monroe, who taught me my purpose, preached in our church. I went down to Bahamas. He said, Scales, you need to come to Bahamas and bring your elders with you. And taught us purpose and potential and principle and the principles of the kingdom. I stand on those shoulders. We stand on the shoulders. Miles Monroe said, I said, Dr. Moreau, how have you accomplished so much in a short span of life? He says, if I see more than other people see, it's because I stand on the shoulders of great men. I stand on the shoulders of the former generation. But you know what I do? I lend my shoulders to the current generation. And as an older person, I'm coming along to this current generation. And when I meet a minister in our city and they're new and they're young, I open up my cell phone and I open up my contacts and I put, press the plus on here and I hand it to them and I say, put your name and your information in here and I'll send you a text. Therefore, you'll have my cell phone and I'll have yours. I said, now listen, the reason I'm doing this is this is the phone that I answer. If you call the church, you're going to have to go through an answering machine, sometime a receptionist, sometime you're going to have to go through my executive secretary. I said, I entered it. And you know what? When I lend my shoulder to the younger generation, I found out that those ministers have put their number in there. Now, some said, man, I don't know if I want you to have my information. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, I only ask one time. And then one of my greatest sadnesses is to see, sadness is to see a minister out there struggling that I wanted to lend my shoulder to. And any parent will really have a sadness when you lend your shoulder to the current generation and they refuse to stand on it. I stand on the shoulders of the former generation. I lend my shoulder to the current generation. But you know what I do finally? I offer my shoulder to the previous generation. Peter was told in John 21, and there was a time when Peter, you just walked around with all your strength. But when you're old, man, you're gonna have to lean on somebody else. I was at a justice conference in Orlando, Florida. Three o'clock in the morning, alarms go off. I uh, look around. When I'm looking around, 
I don't hear any activity, so I just kind of go back to sleep, think somebody's pulled the alarm. They go off again, and I go out and I feel the door, it's not warm. So I go out and I draw the, uh, the, the, the curtains and fire engines are all around the hotel. I'm on the 14th floor. I said, okay, I need to abandon. I get up and I get dressed. I know it's three o'clock in the morning, fire alarm going off, but people show up with cameras in parking lots, uh, you know, when they have a fire at a hotel. And I'm not one of those folks that like to be out there on camera in my pajamas. Look at your neighbor and say, vanity, vanity, vanity. Okay. So yeah, I got, yeah, I did it. I got up and I got dressed and I made my way down those 14 flights. I got the flight number 12. There's a man standing there with an oxygen tank. His daughter was one of our presenters. She was behind him. He was a pastor. And I asked him, are you all right? He said, no, just go ahead. He said, I just need to breathe. And I said, no, I'm going to wait on you. I said, I'm going to stand right in front of you. And I stood in front of him. I said, just let me know when you're ready to go. And when he said he was ready to go, I said, grab the handrail, put your other hand on my shoulder, and we're going to go down together. We went down two flights. He said, I got to stop. And we stopped. I said, let me know when you're ready to go. We went down another floor and then he said, you need to stop. And that's the way we went down. You know what? We started on that one floor, but with his hand on my shoulder and with the rail and his daughter behind him, we went down and we made it safely together. We stand on the shoulders of great people. You have a great foundation in this church. Think about all the people that have spoken into your lives. You are the planting of the Lord in New England. You stand on those shoulders. Now it's your responsibility to lend your shoulder to this current generation. But don't forget those that are elderly. And when they need assistance and when they call for your help to offer your shoulder to them. Because we not only want to be a multicultural church, we want to be a multi-generational church. But listen to this, we want to be an intergenerational church where generations work with each other and serve one another and understand the value of one another. Whatever row you're on, find the youngest person on your row. If you're a husband and a wife, find out who's older, who's younger. Find them, find them. Who's old? Just tell somebody your age right now. If you're by a husband or a wife, just find out who's the youngest person on your row. Because I want to see the older generation bless the younger generation this morning. Does that make sense? And if there's somebody younger than you on your row, I want you to stretch your hand out towards them. And if they're familiar and if they'll let you, just lay your hands on them. Ha. That's, oh, I see y'all. Good. Okay, I see y'all too. Okay, good. Oh, I see you, sir. <laughs> All right, good. I see you. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to pray a blessing and you bless the next generation. Go ahead and begin to pray for them and bless them. And I'm going to pray and bless them also. Father, in the name, in the name of Jesus, when we're Old and gray-headed, your word says, don't let us depart until we've shown this generation your strength and everyone to come, your power. Father, your word says, we shall be fat and flourishing and declare that the Lord is good, that he is our rock and there is no unrighteousness with him. Father, I see husbands laying hands on wives. I see parents laying hands on children and grandchildren. I see wives laying hands on their husbands, Father. I see, uh, Father, great-grandparents laying hands on great-grandkids. I see siblings laying hands on a younger child. And, Father, we bless them. We say, I stand on the shoulders of great people. I offer, or I lend my shoulder to you so that you don't have to walk in my shadow. You can stand on my shoulders. And now... I offer my shoulder to those that are in need who are part of the older generation. Father, you be glorified and make this church the church of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh in the name of Jesus. And we believe you for that today. Now, Father, some of us have seed that is not in this room. 
We bless that seed that may be somewhere else in the name of Jesus and let them be fruitful and multiply and increase and abound in the works of the Lord in the name of Jesus today. And we bless you for it now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Give the Lord some praise in this place. Now listen, wait with me for one moment before Pastor John comes because there are people that are watching us on the streaming audience and there are people that are in this sanctuary that may not have received Christ. And I want you to know he is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a multi-generational God, but he's also an intergenerational God where generations can respond and react to one another. And we just want to make sure that the right thing is in you. And if you have not come to this transgenerational, intergenerational God, I would like to extend Jesus Christ to you. I would like to pray with you. And then on that website where you're watching, if you're live streaming, there's been announcements that have been given that you'll need to take the second step. We'd like to see you go on and be water baptized, go on and be filled with the Holy Spirit, go on and connect with this wonderful church. And I would like to pray this prayer because this prayer will take you through the door so that you can enter in. Pray this after me, everyone in the sanctuary, those that are watching on the streaming live, pray this after me. God in heaven, today I come to you. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is Lord. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes, I am healed. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Rule my life. Rule my spirit, my soul, my body my family life, my social life, my economic life. I renounce the past. Everything Satan has done in my life, I am finished with it. Now, Jesus, you are my Lord, my Savior, my baptizer with the Holy Spirit, my closest friend. From this moment forward, I will live for you. Live big in me, Jesus. My life will never be the same. Now, let me pray for you. Father, for those that are watching on our virtual audience and those that are on this physical campus, I pray that those who have prayed that prayer for the first time, you'll come in and seal the work that they've done in their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for those who have renewed their relationship with Jesus Christ, let there be renewal, restoration, and revival that comes to their life in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it and praise you for it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, is there anybody in this sanctuary that prayed that prayer maybe for the first time or you know that you had a renewal with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Anybody in here prayed that prayer? You know, I made that commitment. I see a hand over here. I see one way in the back. Amen. In Jesus name. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. If you need to connect the Faith Christian Center, information is available to you because renewal has happened to you today. And there are follow-up teams. Do we, you'll take it from here? Okay. Pastor John is going to come and he's going to give you instructions. So come on and give them instructions because things are a little bit different now. And that's good. Amen. 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 Good. Good. For those of you that made a first time commitment to Christ or renewed your commitment, we have some material for you. So when we leave the sanctuary in just a moment, if you would go out the back doors around to a place called the Common Ground, Pastor Michael will be over there and he has material to you. If you're watching online and you made that commitment to Christ and you said that prayer with Apostle Scales or you recommitted your life to him, we have some free material we want to send to you. There's a number at the bottom of your screen right now. If you'll call that number tomorrow morning, someone will answer the phone because we want to send you information, free information, so you will have a better understanding of what you've done of the commitment that you made today and the commitment Christ made to you. Also, I want to encourage you to follow up on that, to be watching us online next week, or come here even better next week, because that helps to seal and begin your growth with the Lord. You've just begun something with Him that started today, and He will see you through it as long as you follow along with Him, and we want to help you to do that. 
thank you so much this morning. There were rich deposits that were made in you. Thank you so much. We will receive an offering for Apostle Scales now, but we're not, what we'll do is, is the same way we give for your tithes and offerings. There's a box in the back. There are two containers. You can uh, fill an envelope out, and all you've got to do is put scales, guests, something like that. If you're giving by way of text, when you go into that app, that PushPay app, there's a, a scroll at the bottom. If you go down, it will say guest, and you can fill in that one-time amount there. And if you go online to our website, there's the same kind, same kind of instruction. So let's pray over this offering that's being given right now. Father, we thank you for what's been sown into our personal lives and what, again, through him, you have sown into this church. We pray that these seeds will continue to grow and mature and bring forth a rich fruit and harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold. And Father, now we sow into the lives of this man and this woman who've been so faithful to you to travel all over this world, fulfilling the call that you have on their lives as well as the wonderful work that you have established through them in Columbus and through them through many other parts of this country. We thank you for what they have meant to this church and continue to mean. So we sow this into their lives and we pray for them as this is given into their lives that you will continue to give them strength and health so that they can continue to travel and finish with grace and strength.